Dr. Mons Brew. It is from Finland, from a place I never quite know how to pronounce it. Obo Academy, um, where he uh, teaches religious studies. Um, he is uh, a great lover of ritual and a great expert on ritual, particularly as it pertains to the uh, uh, Vaishnava traditions, specifically Bengali Vaishnava uh, traditions. Um, and um, has written one of the, as it turns out, one of the very few books on the concept of gurus in, in Hindu thoughts and Hindu traditions. Um, at least that looks at it so comprehensively. As good as God, which is somewhere here behind me. Um, and recently has ventured into the realm of, of uh, Shakta Tantra texts with the talk he'll be presenting to us today. The Radha Tantra, um, so which he claims here in the title is a very obscure text, uh, which I'm not sure it is. But uh, anyway, without further ado, I'll let him uh, say more about it. Thank you, thank you. I'm pleased to see that you you've all turned up for this. Uh, I'm going to speak a little bit about uh, this this book. It's, it came out at the end of last year. Uh, about the book itself and about something about the the process of of, of working with this text and uh, kind of the adventures of of working with a lesser known text. We'll see whether we can call this an obscure text or not, but at least we can we can fairly certainly say that it's a text that hasn't been very much studied before. And uh, approaching a text like that, of course, has its own challenges, but also its own rewards. So I'm going to be speaking on a on a text that not many people have studied, but uh, the study of which I claim has some more general. Um, we can learn some more general uh, things from it. That's my plan. I first came across this text, the Radha Tantra, in a, in a bookstore in, in Kolkata, Sanskrit Pushtak Bhandar, in on College Street. I was looking for Vaishnava texts, and and uh, the man there he handed me some books, and one of them was the Radha Tantra, the Bengali uh, edition of this text, and I bought it mainly based on the name. But when I eventually sat down with the text and had time to look at it, I quickly realized that this was something completely different from what I was expecting. It was a text about Radha, as the title indicates, but it was not a Vaishnava text. Rather, it told the story of Radha and Krishna, the famous Vaishnava story of Radha and Krishna, from a Shakta perspective, giving it uh, a new interpretation and turning many of the things that uh, uh, Vaishnavas take for granted on their head. So this made me curious, of course. What kind of a book is this? And I looked a little bit at, at what had been written about this book. Not much, it turned out. Uh, some scholars have mentioned it in passing, in his uh, overview of tantric literature, uh, Tehun Gudrian, 
writes that that uh, in in terms of style and presentation, the Radhatantra is a much inferior text. Uh, somebody thought it was pre-Chaitanya. That means earlier than the 16th century. Others claimed it was later. Uh, June McDaniel has one article dedicated to the Radha Tantra in the Journal of Vaishnava Studies, where she calls the Radha Tantra <coughs> a Purana in the guise of a Tantra. But we'll hear more about that uh, presently. The, the, the contents of the book can be summarized fairly quickly. It's, uh, it begins with uh, Shiva and Parvati, in Kailas, like most of at least the later Tantras do. And uh, Parvati Devi going up to Shiva and asking him that uh, I've heard about Radha before. Radha's story has been hinted at, Suchitam, in the form of, of a story. But can you please retell all of this in the form of a Tantra? So happily for us, Shiva obliges and uh, he starts telling her the Radha Tantra. And he begins by saying that once upon a time, uh, Vasudeva Vishnu came to me asking for what kind of mantra he should recite to attain perfection, Siddhi. So he, Shiva gave uh, Vishnu the Sri Vidya mantra. The Sri Vidya mantra is, uh, is a mantra uh, fairly complex mantra consisting of, of, of letters. It's not a typical mantra in being uh, addressed to a divinity in the deity and then with the bija at the beginning and swaha or namaha at the end. It's a different kind of mantra. So he, he, he gives in this mantra and Vasudev goes to Varanasi, to Kashi and practices it, but nothing happens. He doesn't get any success. So he prays to the goddess, Tripura. Tripura is the main, main goddess of the text. Tripura Sundari, the divinity uh, addressed through the Sri Vidya Mantra. And she appears to him and tells him that you've been going around about this in a completely wrong way. There's no point of doing this tapas, this austerity and chanting these mantras, unless you have a ritual partner with which you will then perform uh, kulachara, or the, the clan rites, clan behavior, tantric sexual rituals. So for this, you'll have to be born on earth, and I'm going to give you one of my garlands. She takes off one of the garlands, and says that this garland, wear this garland and everything will turn out nicely. So he takes the garland, and he returns to, to, to his heavenly abode. And then the garland, revealed to be one of, of Padmini's attendants and duties, is born on earth as Radha in Vrindavan. And half a year after this, Vishnu is born as Krishna. And eventually they meet in Vrindavan. Uh, there's a, in the text, there's a long description of Vrindavan itself, a, a kind of tantric description of different avaranas or coverings around uh, Vrindavan. 
and there's description about Radha, about Krishna. And then eventually they meet, and uh, there's a rather delightful section of, of them uh, uh, being on a boat. This is a classic topic in, in Gaudiya Vaishnava literature. Uh, Krishna taking Radha uh, over the Yamuna river in a boat. And then when they are in the middle of the river, then he starts uh, scaring her, saying that unless you do what I, I want you to do, the boat will collapse. And they have this kind of banter, wor exchanging insults. And, and then finally, it's kind of a lover's quarrel. So there's something like this in the text. And then finally, it's revealed who they are. And they meet. And uh, they spend the night together. And then in the morning, Radha disappears, and Krishna is left uh, crying after her. And then eventually he leaves Vrindavan Krishna, he goes to Mathura and then to Dwaraka, and there he worships uh, the goddess Tripura in a, in a magnificent temple. And then after that, the, the, the text kind of backtracks a little bit and, and tells more about how to worship Radha. It describes different kinds of, of armors of, or kavachas of Radha. There's a hymn of, of a thousand names of Radha. And, uh, and also some other mantras for Radha. And then finally the, the narrator Shiva explains uh, about, about uh, how Vrindavan can be internalized within the human body. And then about uh, Krishna's death, how his... his his soul returned to, to Vishnu and his body returned to the earth. So this is the kind of, of story of the Radha Tantra. And probably those of you who are familiar with uh, Vaishnava theology will already realize that there's quite a lot here that doesn't sound right. And that's of course the, the very point of the text. But now if you would click, we can look a little bit at some, some of the kind of data about this text. It's found in a fairly large number of manuscripts uh, all over North India. A uh, few manuscripts in Nepal as well. Uh, a fair number in Bangladesh. Some down in Orissa. So it's this kind of geographical area that we're speaking about. Most of the manuscripts are written in Bengali script. Uh, the rest in, in Devanagari. Uh, in the uh, New Catalogus Catalogorum, 42 manuscripts are listed, but not all of these are extant. Some of these are, me are mentioned from older catalogues that are catalogues that have been done by, by going around and, and, and looking at manuscripts and not collecting the manuscripts. I have been able to consult 34 manuscripts from Nepal, India and Bangladesh. And out of these, uh, I have selected 17 for my critical edition, based on, on age, also on, on, uh, on geographical spread, but then uh, also on, I've taken the ones that are, are, are interesting in different ways, that are, are different than others. The text varies between 32 chapters to 37. There's basically three versions of the text. Uh, there's a printed edition, which always has, uh, it's been printed several times, edited and printed several times, this text. 
All of the printed editions have 34 chapters. Most of the manuscripts that I looked at, these 34 manuscripts, have 37 chapters. About a third have 31. So there's basically three versions of the text. The long one, a printed one, and a short one. And we'll hear something about the relationship between these presently. Uh, the text is not much quoted in other tantric texts or tantric digests. That's why I call it an obscure text. Uh, it's first mentioned by a person called Sarvananda in a text called Sarvolasa Tantra, early 15th century. However, the Radha Tantra mentioned and quoted in that text is not the same as this one. None of the verses that uh, Sarvananda gives uh, are found in any of these manuscripts that I have looked at. So it's, an, it's uh, another earlier text that's unfortunately not extinct. Uh, the first time it, that it is cited, uh, this text, the, the Vasudeva Rahasya Radha Tantra, that we can certainly say that this is the same text, is 1820. It was first published in, in Kolkata in 1874 in a, uh, as part of a larger uh, compendium of different tantric texts. Uh, it should say 34 chapters, that's a mistake. Uh, and then, very soon after, it was, was published again uh, with a short uh, Sanskrit gloss and also a Bengali translation by a person called Kamakkanat Mukhopadhyay. That text has subsequently been reprinted, but it's also been plagiarized. This is very common in, in early, uh, early modern printing in India. They, they would just take the text from, from, an, from a previous edition, write their own introduction, maybe their own translation. But in all, all the editions of this text that have been printed, and there are six at least that I know of, they all use the same, same basic text as, as this one, repeating the same mistakes, repeating everything, maybe adding their own translations. So, uh, this book is written in Sanskrit, but uh, not exactly the kind of Sanskrit that, that is considered uh, a standard Paninian. Sanskrit, classical Sanskrit. Rather, it has what Tantric scholars call uh, many Aisha features, or, or features of, of uh, Tantric Sanskrit, or, or non-standard Sanskrit. I mentioned some of them here. One very striking feature is using the optative as a kind of descriptive past tense. It's all over the text. Prajapit, which uh, should mean uh, let him recite, or one should recite. Uh, in the text it means he recited. It's, it's used in, in, a, in a past tense. Darshayet, and so on. Uh, not always. Sometimes the optative is used in the standard way, and sometimes in a non-standard way. So there, it's, it's irregular. There's also sometimes confusion between numbers and genders. The dual compound Radha and Krishna should be Radha Krishna, Radha Krishnam. 
uh, here some a dual again mixed up with a with a singular. There are some irregular noun endings. Harinamasya. This is what if you don't look know Sanskrit very well, you'd think that this is how the genitive of Harinama should be. Harinamasya. How is it? <laughs> oh my god. Nama. Nam nam. Is it Harinam? Nam nam nam. Nam Because it's 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 not a it looks like it's 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 a noun ending with an a, but it's not. It ends with an n. But in Bengali, of course, uh, it's treated as, as that. So that's a, a, a thing that has crept in. It also has plenty of plenty of irregular sandhis. Nanda alaye, one example. Nihatya asuran, another. So the language is Sanskrit, but uh, it's not very perfect Sanskrit. This is something we'll come back to a little bit later. An interesting thing when looking at the manuscript was to see that uh, the language changes in the text. The printed editions of the text, they have the best Sanskrit. The manuscripts, and particularly the old ones, their Sanskrit is more irregular. Here is one example. In English, this Shaktim Vinamaheshani Brahmastu Shavarupavat. This is a phrase that uh, occurs, I think, six times in the text. Without, but without Shakti, Brahman is like a dead body. What's wrong with this, from a perspective of Sanskrit syntax? Now I should take a genitive form thing. Um, sometimes uh, it doesn't need to, but that or, or instrumental it could take. Yeah. This. Again, it's the same mistake as in Harinama. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the author is treating uh, Brahma, Brahman as a, as a uh, noun ending in A. Because what he's doing is he's reworking a, a classic tantric phrase. Shaktim Vina Maheshani Shiva's to Shavarupala. So he's changing Shiva to Brahma. And then there's... Then, it doesn't work. He doesn't notice it. But some of the scribes notice. And they amend the text. One suggestion found in the printed editions and in two of the manuscripts as well. Shaktim vina param brahma nibhati shavarupala. That works. Uh, in another place in those manuscripts, because this phrase is repeated many times, they they, they amend it in a different way. Shaktim vina maheshani param brahma shavakriti. And in another manuscript, shaktim vina maheshani brahmatvam shavavatsmritam. So, this shows that in the original, there are some mistakes that later scribes, later editors, they they notice. And then they fix. So we see a text that starts out with very irregular Sanskrit being gradually then cleaned up. Editors thinking that, oh, this is a mistake, it can't have been original. So what could the original have been? And then they are guessing, not realizing that the author in the first play 
first place wasn't that good in Sanskrit. Uh, a few words about the, the, the style of the text. Uh, one thing that, that strikes you as a reader is the use of vocatives. This isn't anything special for this text. Epic Sanskrit, for example, uses lots of vocatives. But in this text it becomes extreme. This Maheshani, for example, that you saw, fills out uh, so many verses. Sometimes you'll have three or four verses with the same Maheshani. Uh, the word Priye, easy word to use as a kind of fill-in, two syllables, 320 times in the same text. Maheshani, 306 times, Devi, 288, and so on. So, uh, when you read the text, very quickly you kind of get used to this style. Oh goddess, oh mistress, my dear, every sentence almost. Another thing the text does, it repeats formulaic statements quite a lot. Savadhana avadharaya. Listen carefully. Uh, Sanskrit, but kind of uh, very much influenced by, by vernacular. Sixteen times the same phrase. Deva Deva Mahadeva. Nice phrase to begin a, 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 a shloka verse with. Fills out nicely one pada. Rahasyam Paramam Guhyam. The greatest, uh, the greatest, greatest uh, secret and and and, and uh, confidential thing. Sometimes the text also repeats not only phrases but also information. I'll, re I'll read you from the translation one example. Tripurasad, from the third chapter. When one attains the age of sixteen, one must devotedly take initiation. My son, if one does not, when one attains the age of sixteen years, Hari's name becomes useless when the sixteenth year passes. Therefore, beautiful one, one should diligently get oneself initiated at the age of sixteen, for otherwise all one's actions become like those of an animal. So before the age of sixteen, he repeated it four times in two verses. So uh, it works, but it's it's not very it's not not very polished. The text also, while it does have a, a story, and this is something we'll return to later because it's not what we would expect of a tantric text, uh, the structure is uh, it's not very stringent. It goes back and forth, puts in things in the middle, takes a step back, two steps forward. This is something typical for uh, uh, authors that are not very very trained authors. Uh, before the age of, of uh, computers and word processors and so on, what really distinguishes uh, a, 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 a trained author from a non-trained is, is how they're able to structure the text. You can see that in, in, uh, in Europe as well. Uh, particularly, this is a point that has been made by some medieval scholars, uh, women writing, they, they can write super nice, uh, for example, uh, descriptions of, of 
in religious texts descriptions of, of, of visions they've had of, of, of Mary or, or something like this. But the structure will not work because they've not had the same kind of training, of course, as men had in those days. Uh, the final thing here, and which is striking for this text, is that even though it's a tantric text, and from tantric texts we would expect uh, uh, ritual, ritual prescriptions. Do like this, and you'll get this. Uh, there's very, very little of that, almost nothing. What little of ritual we see, and there's a little bit descri described about the kind of sexual rituals Radha and Krishna um, engage in. It's mostly said that, and then they did these things that are mentioned in older, uh, in older texts. And uh, this you can understand from other texts. So there's not much, hardly any ritual in the text. It's all uh, uh, subordinated to the narrative and to the theology of the text. So this will be the next slide. Some of the, the doctrines of the text you've already uh, probably uh, caught when I summarized the story. Radha and Krishna are reinvented in this text. These uh, Vaishnava divinities are, are given uh, another understanding. Radha is seen as the avatara or, or incarnation. We could use that, that word in this, this text. Uh, one of Tripura's duties, messengers, ritual companions. She is red. In Vaishnavism, Radha is, is portrayed as being golden. In this text, she's red, probably to, to highlight her connection with Tripura, who is usually described as red. She's a little bit older than Krishna, half a year older than him. In Vaishnavism, she's younger. Uh, she's older to him and she's superior to him. Uh, in uh, in uh, Vaishnava retellings of the story of Radha and Krishna, it is Krishna who leaves Vrindavan and leaves Radha crying after him. In this text, Radha disappears and Krishna is left crying over her. And when they are having this playful banter on the boat, it's not Krishna who finally uh, subdues her, but it's she who subdues him. Uh, she's the daughter of Vrikabhanu, means the, the wolf, wolf son. In, it's an eccentric thing. In, in, in Vaishnava text, Radha's father is called Vrishabhanu. In the Radha Tantra, uh, Vrikabhanu. Many scribes try to correct it, and they correct the first five or six occurrences, and then they give up because they realize it's not a mistake. So the author has... has found a need to make that change as well. Krishna then is not, as in Bengali Vaishnavism, the, the supreme deity. Rather, he is uh, uh, an avatar of Vishnu, come for a particular purpose, not the kind of purposes we read about in the Bhagavad Gita, of protecting the pious and annihilating the miscreants and establishing dharma, but to perform these kind of sexual rituals. He has a mantra, the famous Hare Krishna mantra, famous in, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And this mantra is given in the text, but it's given a Shakta interpretation. Uh, Hare and Krishna doesn't refer to Radha and Krishna, it refers to Shiva and Shakti. 
and the mantra is, is meant to prepare for proper initiation into Mahavidya. So it's subordinated to the Shakta Mantra. Even the phrase Krishna's to Bhagavan Svayam, which is a very important phrase for Gaudiya Vaishnava theologians, is reinterpreted in, in this text. Uh, Bhagavan, how would you translate Bhagavan, remember, in a Vaishnava perspective? God. God, yeah. Literally, it means the one who has bhaga. And, and the Vaishnava theologians understand bhaga to mean aishvarya and, and uh, wisdom and different things. Do you remember the verse? Six kinds of... Anyway, it's a long list. In, or it's a, it's a list of six things. Uh, the word bhaga, the one who has bhaga, uh, the author of the Radha Tantra understands in a different way. Bhaga can also refer to the vagina. So, slightly different understanding of Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. Uh, the Bhagavata Purana itself is, is mentioned in the text. Uh, and it's described, the Bhagavata Purana is the text which uh, describes Radha and Krishna, which contains the Gayatri of Radha, and which uh, explains about the five different forms of Vishnu. And surprisingly, this description of the Bhagavata corresponds exactly with the Radha Tantra. It doesn't correspond to the Vaishnava Bhagavata Purana. And the text says that any text that calls itself the Bhagavata and doesn't contain these things, it's simply a vidambanam, it's simply an imposture. So it subverts uh, the authority of that text as well. The supreme divinity in the text is Goddess Tripura, uh, sometimes identified with Katyayani or with Kali and called Mahamaya. And uh, it is she who, together with the 50 matrikas or, or little mothers, also identified with the letters of the Sanskrit alphabet. It is they who together transform the Nirguna or Parabrahman, the, the quality less or, or, or supreme Brahman, supreme divinity, into the qualified or, or, or uh, Brahman of, of, of sound, known as, as Vishnu. So there's this kind of... of uh, bifurcation of, of the divine that we know from, from Advaita uh, Vedanta, popularized in this way in the text. Another particular doctrine of this text is that of the 50 seats of India. India, of course, not meaning exactly the same as, as the political uh, entity India today, but, but rather Bharata, uh, a more imagined uh, area. And the story of, 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 of Sati, Shiva's first wife, upon her, her, when she died, uh, her, bo her body, it's a long story of course, her body was cut up into 50 pieces and those pieces fell down on earth. And whenever a piece of her body, uh, wherever a piece of her body fell down, that place became a, a Shakti Pita or, or a seat of power. And her hair fell down in Vrindavan. And that's why Vrindavan is a holy place.
One thing that I found extremely interesting while working with the text was that I, I soon realized that some parts of this text sound different. Sometimes all of this Maheshani, Priye, all of these vocatives they cease, and the Sanskrit changes in, in style. It becomes more chaste, it becomes more systematic. And after a while I started to recognize things. So I saw that uh, the Radha Tantra incorporates, without acknowledging it, but nevertheless it incorporates a lot of earlier texts. <coughs> particularly a text called the Varaha Samhita. This is a text that hasn't been published, but it's found in, in manuscripts in, in Vrindavan and in, in Bengal as well. It's a post-Goswami Vaishnava text. Post because it makes use of some of the terminology of Rupa Goswami. Uh, it's been reused also in another text that is, is more well-known, the Vrindavana Mahatmya, a text about Vrindavana. Because this Varaha Samhita even though the name refers to Varaha, it doesn't say anything. Varaha is just the speaker of the text. The text is all about Vrindavana. It gives a very tantric description of, of Vrindavana. There's a, a yoga peat, our seat of union in the middle, and then these different kinds of, of layers around it. 98% about of this text is incorporated in the Radha Tantra. They, the author of the Radha Tantra just leaves out the 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 two first verses that kind of set the scene. The rest he takes directly, but not without changing some things. Some things he needs to, to, to tweak to make it fit into his understanding. The text that I first recognized as uh, borrowing from somewhere else was when the, when the Radha Tantra starts describing Radha and Krishna in great detail, speaking about their ornaments, about their pets, about their parents and relatives, I realized this is Rupa Goswami. And yes, two chapters of the Radha Tantra are taken straight out of a text by Rupa Goswami, with some minor changes again to make it work better. One line in the Radha Krishna Ganodesha Deepika, which is a book describing Radha and Krishna and their companions, Describing Radha says, Radhika Vishrutim Yata Yad Gandharva Keyashrutal. In the Radha Tantra, it's changed to Sri Radha Tripura Aduti Purana Purushapriya to fit better in the theology of this text. The longest of the chapters of the Radha Tantra is the chapter describing the thousand names of Radha, a hymn of a thousand names. This is something you'll find in many, uh, particularly devotional contexts. in. Hinduism, a thousand names of Vishnu, that's the, maybe the first one. Then you get a thousand names of different divinities. The one, the thousand names of Radha is a little bit different from some of these hymns because it's, it's structured alphabetically. It begins with names beginning with A, then names beginning with A, E, E, in the order of the Sanskrit alphabet. Uh, but it's a reworking of a, a slightly older text, similar hymn addressed to, to goddess Ganga in the Kashi Kanda of the Skanda Purana. And it's very easy to see that it's a reworking because some of the names, the names that are, that, that kind of show that it's about Ganga, they are changed. Most of the names are, are common, 
mighty one, great one, things like that. But then whenever there's something that is unmistakably about the, the river Ganga, those are changed. So Jahnavi, the name Jahnavi, is changed to Jamuna, also betraying the, 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 the Bengali or East Indian influence here. Then there are verses taken from, from tant earlier Tantric texts, Kula Churamani Tantra, Bhuta Shuddhi Tantra, and Tantric Digest, Kula Mukti Kalolini, Tantra Sara, Krishna Nanda, and so on. And there are also other verses that look like they are taken from somewhere else, but that I wasn't able to, to, to locate. But this was a fun part, of course, of the, the project, this kind of detective work. And I was materially helped by, by the Mukta Bodha, uh, digital library uh, maintained by by Mark Dyskovsky and his his disciples and students in Varanasi. So, how old is this text then? It's not very old when it comes to Indian texts. Its terminus postquem is, is circa 1635. Because it makes use of Krishnananda's Tantrasara, which was written about that year, but is not, it is not mentioned uh, as one of his sources. So it, it can't be older than this. Uh, it can't be younger than 17, about 1700, because it has influenced clearly the Pithanirnaya, a text that speaks about uh, these different seats of, of the goddess, the 50 seats and which mentions that Vrindavana is the seat of, of uh, Sati's hair, which is a big thing in the Radha Tantra, an important part of the theology of the Radha Tantra, but which is very marginal in this text. So somewhere between 1635 and, and 1700. So this means... Ah, okay. It's interesting. Anyway, uh, the manuscripts that I found were not that old. The oldest one that I, I know for sure was 1778. There was another one dated 1736, but the date was written with, in a different hand. So I can't be really sure whether this is something somebody has added later or not. So what we see here then is a text that uh, is written in the 17th century, uh, a time in Bengal, likely Bengali text from the way which it uh, interfaces with Bengali Vaishnavism, also from where manuscripts are found from the language. What uh, uh, I see here when I look at this text is a polemical text. It's a text written by Shaktas about Vaishnavism as a kind of a reply to Vaishnavism. Something similar that we see, for example, when when Muslims write about Jesus, that yes, this Jesus is a good person, but you've understood him all wrong. So in the same way, this text says that Radha and Krishna, very good, but you should understand that these are just servants of our goddess. So uh, uh, it's not a book on ritual. It's not a book on theology in any systematic way, describing cosmology and uh, uh, 
anything like that. It's rather it's a theological and polemical text. Written as a reply to Vaishnavism growing in the 17th century in Bengal. This was the time when the writings of the Goswamins of Vrindavan had been brought back to Bengal and were copied and spread. And this spread we see very clearly in this book. This book is written by a Shakta who knows these Vaishnava texts and who has access to them. So what can we learn then from all of this, looking at this obscure text? The first thing that I found interesting was that we kind of labor often under the idea that if a text grows in size, that texts grow in size. Like the Mahabharata at first consisted of this many verses and then by and by it became bigger and bigger. Or the Skanda Purana, another example. It started out like this and then gradually it became this huge mammoth. This text we find in three versions. One, 37 chapters, one of 34, one of 31. Clearly, the 37 verse, chapters version is the original one. The, edit, the printed and edited one of 34 chapters ends in the middle. And it, it shares readings with two manuscripts. But those two manuscripts also con contain 37 chapters. So the first person to edit the Radha Tantra uh, unluckily had gotten hold of a defective manuscript. So every single printing of the text after that is missing these three final chapters. So how do we know then that the 31 chapter version isn't the original one and the 37 chapter, a later expanded one? Well, we know it very very easily because uh, the 31 chapter version is not just shortened in terms of chapters, it's also shortened in terms of verses. Every chapter will have fewer verses. Also the chapters that uh, incorporate all the material. And it's easy, of course, to understand that somebody reading a book so repetitive as this might think that let's make a shorter, kind of clearer version and taking out, crossing out some verses. But that a person would take a short book and then add verses from older books, going back to those older books that are not mentioned by name in the book, without adding anything of his own in between, is rather inconceivable. So we see uh, a longer book becoming then shortened by later editors who thought this book is nice, but it's kind of uh, wordy. Another thing which we see here, which I found interesting, was that uh, we don't see a successive degeneration of a, of a linguistically nice text by ignorant scholars, ignorant copyists. Rather, what we see is that copyists try to improve on the text. It's a text written by a person who knew Sanskrit but wasn't very good at Sanskrit. But he used Sanskrit to give the text uh, the added authority that Sanskrit carried in late medieval India. A book in Sanskrit carried more weight than a book written in the vernacular. 
So not only highly learned scholars wrote Sanskrit texts. We know almost nothing about the author of this book. It's not mentioned. It's written in a, in a kind of anonymous way. Tantras are supposed to be written in. Uh, probably East Indian. Uh, Brahmin, most certainly, because he has... He, he condemns Shudra, teachers, and so on. Uh, but not a terribly learned one. And the last point, uh, which I find interesting, is that even though this book is an obscure book, and there's no, that I know of, any, any tradition that actually uh, considers this as part of their canon or, or studies this text systematically, it still lives on, uh, but not among the Shaktas of Bengal, but among the Vaishnavas. Because they have noticed that, look, here's a book that mentions the Mahamantra, the Hare Krishna Mantra. And here are some stories of Radha and Krishna. So you'll find this book quoted, not by Shaktas today, but by Vaishnavas, who see it as a timeless ancient uh, Tantra, uh, and then conveniently skip over all the the the, the anti antinomian and, and, and wrong things and just focus on on what they find to be the, the nectar of the book. So in this way tantric texts can can live on and take new forms and, and new incarnations for new audiences. Thank you very much.